To the fifty-second episode of the Opvat Cast, uh, the number one pop culture podcast in the hearts and minds of probably a handful of people. I am Steve Cuff, and joining me today, Adam Myros. Hi, Steve. Hey, Myros. How you doing? Oh, you know, it's going. It's going. On a nice weekend. You got a, you got a spooky Halloween costume picked out. That would involve like leaving my house and shit. No thanks. I just I, I only do that to go to class. Oh, that's true. Wait, you only wear costumes when you go to class, or you only leave your house to go to class? <laughs> well, I I suppose everything's a costume when you really, you know, nail oh, it God, down. God. That's true. That's that's really deep, man. That's that's why we got you here. Uh, I also got uh, Sean Glennis here. He's getting his kicks on Route sixty six. Isn't that right, Sean? That's right. That's Episode fifty or sixty six. Here we come. <laughs> on a, we're we're on that route. <laughs> we're on that route. Eventually, we'll get there. Probably, maybe. I don't know. Uh so gentlemen, at this rate in twenty uh, twenty, maybe. I mean, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Our schedule's been a little bit rough lately. I don't have a Halloween costume either. I feel I feel like I've really dropped. You the didn't ball. even ask me. Oh, because well, I assumed that you didn't have one. But do you have a Halloween costume, Sean? I do not. Weren't you okay? So the last time I saw you in a Halloween costume, it oh, was yeah, yeah. Uh, you. You were a DVD cover for a Tim Allen movie. Which Tim uh, Allen movie? Joe somebody, Joe somebody. The Joe Somebody DVD cover, which is not yeah. an esoteric Halloween costume at all. Case, case. My mistake. Uh, I how forgot ma- about that one. How many people knew what you were that night? Uh, I. That's a good question. Um. I can't remember. I, I made the back of it, so mm-hmm. it would only make sense if they saw both sides that they would put two and two together. I, I think you, you kind of look like a cardboard box robot with like Tim Allen graffiti on it. That's that's what it kind of looked like yeah. to me. But you know, same yeah. thing. Yeah, <laughs> I should have had the Blu-ray strip at the top. Were you that, wearing that a boxing glove? No, I don't think he had any boxing gloves. It was just straight uh, up cardboard. Uh, no, no, sorry. I'm no. just looking at the uh, Joe somebody uh, photo here. It looks like he's got a briefcase and a boxing glove. Mm. Mm. No, I was the case. Yeah, but the case presumably has cover art, right? Yeah. I was I was the case that had the cover art on it. Yeah, he was not the embodiment, the human embodiment of no. Tim Allen on the cover. He was the he was the DVD itself, the physical item. So was there like a giant print of the cover art? Yes. And, and yes. if by giant print you mean Sean drew on a cardboard box with a, a black sharpie. This this is let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Why well, are you are you knocking down his costume? Well, that's costume what we're talking about today, yeah. Joe. Somebody, Joe. The somebody. Late, uh, the late works of Tim Allen. That's right. Uh, it's it's a it's a great movie. It's it's fantastic. I mean, it's no Last Man Standing, but what really is? Uh, well, the liberals, they got rid of that one. <laughs> they did. They did. My my number one favorite uh, media conspiracy of 2017 was the canceling of Last Man Standing. Did he, did he get it back? Like, I feel like uh, country music television or something picked it up or something. 
I don't know. I, I don't think so. But it's like, it's like, hey, Tim Allen, maybe if you didn't command like a million dollars an episode, uh, you, you know, yeah. a, a channel would be interested in picking the show up. But that's the problem. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, maybe so on next year's uh, eight million uh, Netflix, eight million, eight billion dollar Netflix budget. That's what I'm hoping. I, I'm going to add that to my wish list. It's the new The Killing. They're just going to keep bringing it back. From uh, bad news, guys. Last Man Standing revival not moving forward at oh. CMT, according to the rap. Oh, I was right, though. That, you that's, were right. That's a heartbreaker, you know? 2017's been a rough year. Oh, well. It's a real heartbreaker for uh, conservatives who have it really rough these days. Mm. Well, I'm hoping that they'll do a gritty reboot of ALF <laughs> on Netflix and it just follows, like, it, it kind of, like, blends the, the father's uh, story in real life with that of his uh-huh. character on ALF. So he's, like, smoking crack with homeless people, but also has a cat-eating alien in his house. That's, like, his id or something? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think there's, there's a, you know, there's, there's a lot there. A lot of material. Anyways, guys, it's the Optimism Vaccine Halloween Spooktacular. It's continuing. Uh, in fact, we have a bit of a backlog so it may even continue beyond halloween which is uh that's that's how dedicated we are to this wonderful <laughs> holiday uh <laughs> so one of not that we got a late start. not that we got a late no we would never do that that has nothing to do with it uh it's not like i was you know traveling for the past week and uh was you know oh, wait, you saw britney spears right i did i in saw vegas? i saw i saw britney spears in las vegas which is fucking weird let me tell you um she doesn't she doesn't sing. It's like a straight up like Millie Vanilli situation <laughs> where she has like a, a wireless headset mic on, uh, but she's mostly just like dancing and shit is just blowing up and there's fucking laser beams everywhere. And it's just complete sensory overload. Uh, and it's, it's, it's kind of terrifying. So she's just in like, she's just in like, like peak physical condition. Oh, like doing a bunch of stuff. Oh yeah, she's she's probably in better physical condition than she was like twenty years ago when she got popular. But it's it is a, a, an experience to say the least. It was it well, was intense. I'm glad that uh, you you forewent the uh, the rule about Las Vegas and let us know what happened. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. I did, I did. I also I, I found the the world's weirdest casino. So there's this this street in Vegas, and it's like the old part of Vegas. It's called like Fremont Street, and it's like ten minutes from the actual strip. And uh, it's just all these old like shit ass uh, casinos from like the 1950s, probably. And <laughs> there's a new casino there though, and it's called the D. Which seems like a branding issue because, you know, dicks. Wait, isn't that like a Detroit thing? Aha, yes, it is a Detroit thing. So after laughing at the obvious dick joke, uh, I wandered over, and it's actually the best casino ever because there's a Coney Island restaurant inside, and you can get like a chili dog at like 4 a.m., and it's fucking amazing. Yeah. Is it a Leo's or a National? Uh, No, it's an American, actually. Oh. Um, Huh. Did you see that was uh, the casino on Fremont? Hmm? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you say the casino, uh, and and then I wanted and and the further more like uh, free free money street. <laughs> that's good. You should write that in your standup routine, Sean. That that's a that's a winner. Uh, the best part about Fremont Street is the it's it's kind of scuzzy. Uh, you know, like Vegas is is very excessive and and 
sensory overload, sure. but this is just pure sleaze. And the further you walk down Fremont Street, the sleazier it gets to the point where you're like, I don't know if I feel safe anymore. And that's the place that I wanted to go down, but uh, no one wanted to join me. But uh, <laughs> the, I, I think like the line where you go from kind of scuzzy to, oh boy, is there's this casino and a, a lot of the casinos have been putting this like Vegas strong stuff all over after the, the shooting and whatnot. And uh. yeah, which, and, and that's kind of weird too, because that happened like two weeks ago or something. And there's already like every single store has like t-shirts and all kinds of shit. It's like, man, you guys, you didn't <laughs> spend any time at all. You went straight for the, the money making. But so there's this yeah. sign on this old ass casino that says Vegas strong, except there's a big ass pole that blocks part of the sign. So if you're standing on the street corner and you're looking across the street, it just says ass strong and that's it. <laughs> so I was just like, yeah, that's, okay. that's pretty fucking sweet. So yeah, um, I'm, I'm going to start ass strong as a, as a trending topic on Twitter. At least that's my goal for the rest of the year. So we'll see how that shakes out. Well, oh. Cuff, just rest assured that 1% of profits for those T-shirts are going directly to the victim's family. Yeah, I'm sure they are. I'm sure they fucking <laughs> that reminds are. Me, that reminds me. Uh, when I was in uh, Minneapolis uh, uh, just a month, a couple months ago or something, we went to the state fair with uh, uh, subscribers of the podcast, uh, Robin and Casey, and uh, and one of their friends, who I think also subscribes. But uh, um, we were walking past a BLM uh, tent. And uh, I think Casey's friend said, uh, or Casey, one of them said, uh, oh, I wonder if it's like last year and they have uh, uh, Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter shirts right next to each other. Oh, God. <laughs> That's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> I, I saw, yeah. did I tell you guys I had, to, I had to go to like a NASCAR event for work and uh, – there was all these like variations on black lives matter. Like there's the obvious, like, you know, like the blue lives matter and the white lives matter. And then things got weird because then I saw people walking around in shirts and they're selling these and they just said drunk lives matter. And then, what? and then it got, it got even weirder because oh. I saw another one and they were selling these too. And it just said drunk wives matter. And oh, no, and I don't even know. Oh, no, Like aside from, just kind of getting away from uh, what that's all about. Uh, I I don't even. What does that even mean? Drunk wives matter. <laughs> like what? I don't know that we want to go into that. <laughs> yeah. What here. the fuck? You know. This, are you guys are confusing this for some sort of conversational podcast? Whereas <laughs> this this is actually an edition of Sean sees a thing. The podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Oh we God. told you, we we forgot to tell you about the uh, audible content the the alternative oh yeah well hashtag ask strong anyways this is the Halloween spectacular and uh, we're doing this thing where Sean is trying to watch more horror films uh, which is good because a few of us and by a few of us I mean basically everyone who's not Sean is kind of horror obsessed so we've had Sean kind of uh, dive into a few big directors so uh, you probably heard our episode where sean experienced some john carpenter for the first time and now we uh we gave him a new homework assignment we're hopping across the old pond we're sending him to italy and sean you just watched a shitload of dario argento i did uh and if i can stop you right there and say uh first of all 
you guys also like John Carpenter. Um, did you guys have anything that you wanted to give me that maybe uh, advice or thoughts that that maybe Jack and Jake uh, uh, left out of theirs, or was just sort of like you know uh, your due diligence that you wanted to add? The only thing I want to add is if you ever encounter someone who's like, yeah, I like John Carpenter, but fuck Prince of Darkness, then fuck them. Their opinion isn't valued. That's is all. Is that I your say. favorite of the the lot? I'm just saying that we need more movies in this world about Satan in, as like a vial of green ooze in the basement of a church uh, where a, a homeless Alice Cooper is trying to infiltrate and uh, release Satan. That's that's what we need in life. Oh, uh, well, no, it's no true. spoilers. It's true. Uh, yeah, the that that would be my big thing is is you know forge ahead, finish out that. Uh, unofficial trilogy because those other two films are definitely worth your time and uh yeah also keep in mind i know we stuck to horror for this exercise but he's also kind of a a master at that sort of fun action film from that era like uh yeah i mean i i personally would vouch for assault on precinct 13 is perhaps his best film i've so. seen the ethan hawk one so i don't really need to see that one <laughs> yeah that's like i mean uh, what else do you need really that's yeah. true. That's true. That, and yeah, that was I believe that was when Focus Features was was uh, pivoting to action cinema. Mm. Yeah, the the Carpenter stuff is an interesting sort of juxtaposition with Argento because yeah, uh, to me Carpenter always strikes me as like a a really gifted storyteller. Like he he almost has that yeah. sort of old school storytelling vibe. He's just uh, he's almost less of a traditional auteur and more of just just an expert. Lo- teller of tales he knows how to get a story across and uh argento is about as traditional an auteur as you could possibly point to he he, he just yeah. has this sort of grand technical scope to all of his stuff and it, it has every every movie that you watch here is just screams dario argento he's he's kind of an egoist so mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I had to turn the I had to turn the stereo down for a while. It's like this is a weird soundtrack. Uh, just keeps screaming his name. <laughs> Would you? I wouldn't put that past guy. No, I probably that. wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe maybe I know the theme from Suspiria has that like backing vocal track where it's just like blah 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 over and over again, and maybe that's oh, just yeah, yeah. Uh, Goblin saying Dario Argento's name <laughs> in Italian. I'm not sure. So, so we saw. Um, uh, Myros and I went to see Suspiria uh, during its new uh, restoration tour. Um, were you able to catch that, Steve? I, I, I did. Kind of I did. Um, yeah. Actually, you, like, here's, hailed it. I here's the only productive thing I've ever done with my life. Um, so there's a, a a chain of local theaters. Well, I mean, it's kind of like a group of theaters that are owned by uh, one Mark Cuban. Yeah, Mark Cuban. And they show, like, a lot of indie films, and they do a lot of, like, midnight showings and stuff. And so a few months ago, I started badgering them on social media and calling them and asking them to bring the 4K restoration of Suspiria to Milwaukee. And lo and behold, it actually worked. So <laughs> that's just was, a lesson uh, for you there, kids. Were there more people there? Yeah, yeah. It, was, um, it wasn't quite sold out, but it was, it was a packed theater, so it was pretty cool. Nice. So yeah, kids, if you yeah. ever want to see a movie, just um, find a small local-ish chain and just badger the hell out of them. 
Yeah, is this the is Suspiria the one that we we start with chronologically? Or is uh, it, it is no, to go back. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, never mind. So I'll, I'll hold on that. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, so uh, I guess I want to uh, preface this with saying um, I don't. I don't have like it's such a sensory experience that uh, I'm 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 looking to you guys to talk about them to illuminate them past like the first th- uh, viewings which were more of just like a barrage of of weird cinematography and 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 sound <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah um, anyway take the reins sure sure uh, so if we're, if we're doing this chronologically um, where where do you uh, so where are we starting here. We are starting with Profundo Rosso. All right, Deep Red. Okay, I couldn't. Th- I watched most of these a long time ago. Plus, I watched other ones just because I really liked Dario Argento. So I didn't know how far back we were going. Uh, but yeah, Deep Red or Profundo Rosso uh, is a, what are you, a samurai. Like that's sounds- <laughs> yeah, that's um, that's me. Yeah, I, I actually like Toshiro Mifuni. <laughs> I, I've I've also been watching The Last Samurai a lot, you know. With uh, it, it's just one of my Tom favorite Cruise. films. Tom Cruise, that's the guy's <laughs> name. Literally the most famous actor in the world. Sorry, it's been a long night. <laughs> no, uh, I, I, well, that's the last. Uh, so that was um, so there were six samurai movies, and then there was that one. There's that one. Yeah, then Deep Red. That makes sense. So this is. <laughs> It's probably one of the more traditional Argento movies that we we made you watch, but it's not like the most traditional. So we kind of skewed some of his really early work where he really established himself in the giallo genre, uh, which is, you know, your standard issue black glove killer, even though Deep Red (laughs) has that. Um, But it's just like a a pretty bog standard murder mystery. And Deep Red's a little bit weirder than that for sure. uh, And has a few little like supernatural touches to it. Um, But really that's where Dario Geno cut his teeth is uh, making these murder mysteries. So his debut was uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, which, Sean, you know, if if you enjoyed your little Dario journey, I would highly recommend watching that. It's, It's still excellent. Dario R. Journey. Dario R. Journey. That's the name of the podcast. Thank you. Slam dunk. <laughs> <laughs> the Dario R. Journey. Uh, but uh, Deep Red yeah. it was okay. really his, uh, probably his breakout film where people really started to notice, oh shit, this guy is is more than all these other Italian directors that are cranking out similar movies. Because at the time, this sort of uh, standard formula for these, these films, these kind of like proto-slasher movies, you had... Uh, you know, guys like Fulci doing them, obviously Argento, you had Mario Bava, um, it, Umberto Lenzi, like literally any Italian director that was doing horror or genre films at the time was any doing this two shit. names that are Italian yeah. that you put together. Yeah, right. spaghetti and meatballs, it's, uh, it's all there. <laughs> <laughs> so th- again, this is, this is where Dario really starts to break out and establish his sort of, um, his style, I guess, if you will. Okay. So what 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 were I, your tell tell the the listeners here what was your impression watching this at first? Like how how <laughs> this is this is the first yeah. Dario Argento movie you've ever watched, I'm guessing. Uh Suspiria was and then this, but um okay. uh yeah, I uh I be going into the to the uh whole idea of this podcast, I was kind of I was really into the I mean, I kind of like said I was down for these these two and i was excited to sort of like learn 
something like get a get a peek into this world that uh people talk about all the time and i just kind of like have no idea mm-hmm. uh what they're kind of they have no i have no frame of reference <clears throat> and uh the john carpenter stuff was very like traditional american cinema um that i really liked and this stuff was sort of more up in the air <clears throat> and uh i i knew i was going to like get something that was excessive but wasn't exactly sure and um Watching Deep Red, I I really I really enjoyed it. I li- I liked it quite a bit. Um, and I it's hard to say, but I it might have been my favorite of the bunch. Um, I'm not I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. uh, and I think it was because it had it still has like these wild uh, excessive bits to it, and it still has like this soundtrack that I I I don't know I didn't know who Goblin was, but I was like did yes like probably tells you more about my my knowledge of prog rock but i was like this sounds like uh like fragile outtakes or something um but <laughs> yeah. uh I, I i really liked um just how simple it was and that that like stalker storyline and david hemmings i really liked mm-hmm. um and also was a familiar face uh but <clears throat> um yeah there's just some really cool uh cinematography and set set pieces set design even when it wasn't like even when he's not trying to be flashy he's flashy basically mm-hmm. um but i i thought that this was um really contained i guess yeah, yeah this is this <laughs> is uh probably the easiest entry point we could have had for you because okay. that makes yeah. sense yeah, like revisiting this, I think what I said in the chat was this this movie's almost too good to be a Dario Argento movie. <laughs> it's it's just a very tightly constructed film. It, the narrative is very well written and executed and that that isn't always a hallmark of Italian horror, that's for sure. No. <laughs> no. I also As think I, uh, uh the, the, another thing that helps with this one too because uh Dario Argento as he moved through the 1970s into the 1980s, he would do uh, a lot of films where he would rely on dubbing and he would have actors from, you know, like Italy and France and Germany and America, and he would just throw them all together and then just dub everything later. And you kind of get some mixed results with that. Uh, But I think the preferred cut of this film, which is I'm guessing the one that you watched is the one with the Italian soundtrack with the subtitles. So, Yep. Um, you you lose some of the 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 kind of hamminess and campiness of a few of his other films when you are you know you're reading subtitles instead, so you don't yeah, know. Yeah, might he... have uh, attributed to my fondness. Yeah, yeah, I can I can see that for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, there there are certainly some sort of ropey elements, like his exploration of that abandoned house really doesn't amount to a whole hell of a lot. And it it just kind of teases at the supernatural, but really, that's not what this movie is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, you can you can see how influential this was. There was there's a clear through through line in the sort of Italian masters from uh, Bava to Argento, and and probably on to Michel Suave is like the the tail end of that Italian horror era which is it totally dropped off in the early 90s. Uh, that industry really doesn't exist anymore. Um, but this movie from the intro, and I know Jack had mentioned this when, when revisiting Halloween for the Carpenter podcast, is there's a real similarity in the way that they're constructed, especially that introduction, which uh, almost it ends up being more of a key element in 
decoding Deep Red as as the, he goes back to that imagery in uh, revealing the the motives of the killer. But uh, yeah, it, it really was reminiscent of that sort of young Michael Myers uh, mm-hmm. introduction as well. Mm-hmm. And I think Sean, you touched I, on this a little bit too, but uh, the the attention to detail in this movie, and uh, it, again in Suspiria, which we'll talk about, it's ridiculous. Like just e- even when things yeah. aren't you know completely don't feel like super composed or anything like that. Like just the amount of things going on in each scene, the way that like the sets are designed. Uh, everything is is just excessive and so meticulously detailed and a big part of that is i I guess like the the first draft of the of the deep red script was over 500 pages long and most of that was just like descriptions of what rooms look like and things like that and i think they eventually cut it back but yeah like that's that's dario general's writing is it's it's not just the storytelling and it's 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 about mood and it's about the look and how all those things sort of gel together to create this uh, sensory experience. Yeah. Yeah. And he is, he is right there with the suspense for me in this film. Like this is as effective a suspense film as, as I've ever seen. I'm not, not really one for the, the thriller genre or anything of that nature, but this has some just incredibly taut sequences with the, the psychic, uh, in the very early going of the film, uh, giving that speech in the amphitheater. And there is just such an atmosphere to it. And going back to it, when, uh, Hemming's character recognizes that he had seen the reflection of the killer, um, that entire way that reveal was done was just to me something I'll never forget. Yeah, for Um, sure. I, uh, also it has like, so, um, uh, well, my my favorite scene, I think, was um, the arm wrestling scene. I'll come back to that. But it, it, it sort of, like, cued me into some, some visual illusions throughout cinema. Like, just, like, the sink, the blood in the sink uh, shot is, like, sort of a famous thing that I've seen replicated, uh, you know, pretty, I guess, like, famously now in Royal Tenenbaums and maybe uh, a couple others. But um, <clears throat> it was interesting to get those. But uh, I... I I thought the arm wrestling scene was hilarious where um, they're like in front of like that block, like weird, like backlit wall. And uh, they are uh, he's David Hemmings and and the actress are are, um, I can't remember. They're arguing about something and and she's uh, negs him into like arm wrestling and he thinks that like there's no way that he can't be beat or whatever, and then she beats him, blah blah. blah. Uh, and which I thought was funny because I had just seen um, uh, Battle of the Sexes, uh, the 2007 picture with uh, Stephen Carell and um, uh, Emma Stone. Which well, that's ten years old already. 2017. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> uh, and that whole movie does exactly the same thing but over two hours and this uh, and then this scene did did that did what like 45 seconds a minute and a half um so folks don't nope sean you there um oh we lost you for a second yeah i uh did you yeah you're back you're good am i back Mm -hmm. okay anyway um 
yeah, I, I don't know. There, there's just a lot of a uh, lot of really cool stuff that um, I guess that's one of the things that that struck me right away going to Argento is just like how organized the images are. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's almost uh, like I, I this was he's a filmmaker that I would kind of if I was any in any position to um, influence uh, young filmmakers. I would tell them to never like to not watch like take all Ardento movies put them in a box a time capsule and come back to it in like 20 years um, because if they see this it's just going to be like this is all that their movies are going to be <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's probably true <laughs> uh, yeah yeah I mean I, the actress you're referring to is Daria Nicolodi who is uh, basically Argento's muse in the prime of his career uh they had a long relationship, and, and you'll see her pop up in, I think, all these films. Yeah, and Maybe she's Suspiria. She's Asia Argento's mom. Is that right? Yes. Okay, that's correct. Yep. So yeah, it, it, oh, is it, that it was, is that how he knew her? Because he was because she was Asia's mom. Yeah that that that's got to be knew her intimately. <laughs> um, and yeah, so it. It is interesting in in seeing this film because I, I think it would be fair to uh, criticize Argento for his treatment of women in many of his films, but uh, uh, Nicolotti here has a, a a great deal of agency mm-hmm. and uh, interplay, and yeah. it, it's a well written character, and it's just very very good watch. This is such that's a- why I'm saying don't go don't go see Battle of the Sexes. Just just watch. Deep <laughs> yeah, it's basically the same experience, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, sure. it's it's interesting too because you're right. Like, there's certain Argento movies where uh, you know his his treatment of women is less than stellar, and there's this famous Argento quote where he basically says, um, "Like, oh, I want to murder beautiful women in all of my films. Why would I want to uh, murder a plain-looking man when I can kill a beautiful woman?" It's just like, uh, I don't know why you would say that, but okay. Yeah, vampire? he's 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 actually a vampire. Uh, well, if you if you Google what he looks like right now, he does kind of look like a vampire. <laughs> you should have cast he himself like the Dracula. grandpa from the yeah. Ash. <laughs> he looks like the grandpa in Adam's family. Yeah, well, and it, it it's it is interesting that the the women in this movie are, are do have agency and are are not just like you know like flat one dimensional characters because uh, one of the the. the big defining characteristics of giallo films is uh, women are either uh, there to like you know obstruct things or they're temptresses or they're just hysterical or they're basically just fodder for whatever killer is going around and they yep. rarely have any degree of, of agency so if, if you look at you know uh, the stuff that Fulci was doing at the time or uh, I'm trying to think of someone else uh, like Massimo Delamo he he did a few giallo around the same time and they're all just like oh god like of course they're the most misogynistic things imaginable <laughs> Delamo he actually he did a movie that was uh, it was really popular in Italy and uh, it's got kind of a cult following here it's called What Have You Done to Solange and it's it's another you know giallo murder mystery killer with black gloves etc cetera, etc cetera. And uh, basically it boils down to the big reveal at the end is this woman is like uh, viciously sexually assaulted and it's her fault that that's kind of what it, it boils down to. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. And uh, that's Jello in a nutshell, baby.
that was another thing I really loved about this movie going back to it is, is, you know, I didn't have the strongest memory of the climax and it, it has that odd relationship with the deviant and what was certainly against social mores in Italy at the time with, with the presumed murderer being a homosexual and, the way that relationship was depicted as as almost one of the more warm and healthy in the film, and you know you you got to that climax and you're like, oh no, really? <laughs> you're gonna make you're gonna make this guy the murderer? And yeah, they don't. So there, that was nice. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, uh, so Sean, any any other any other feelings you got on on uh, Deep Red here before we? We move forward. No, no, no. All right, yeah. This is this is definitely like if you're just getting into Argento or you know something you want to dip your toes into. I would say uh, watch. Actually, I'd say probably start with Bird with the Crystal Plumage, just because it's not as good as Deep Red, and you don't want to like you know ruin everything else for yourself. Uh, but yeah, watch watch Deep Red. It's a really great entry point into getting like why people are so crazy about this director. Uh, I think the next movie chronologically then is uh, is Suspiria, right? It yeah. is where we we go from that that safe entry point for you know Hitchcock fans and stuff of that nature to yeah. one of the more yeah. bizarre films. Oh yeah, seen. fucking bonkers! And <laughs> let me tell you my favorite thing about Suspiria. So uh, after Suspiria was kind of like a big international hit, um, distributors started going back to. Argento's older movies and, and started to distribute them. And in Japan, Deep Red was released in like 1979 or something as Suspiria 2. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fucking hilarious because they have literally nothing to do with each other. Uh, so that's good. Also, people were mad at Argento because <laughs> this is another, another thing about Giallo movies is they frequently have titles that have very little to do with what the actual movie is about. Um, so <laughs> he has Bird with the Crystal Plumage, which is a movie that has no titular bird with crystal plumage. So it, <laughs> when you're watching Suspiria, the, the scene kind of towards the end where uh, the, the main character, she's, she's walking around and kind of uh, discovering this, this witch's coven, uh, there's an actual bird with crystal plumage that she bumps into and knocks over and it shatters. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so this is Dario Argento with the training wheels off, just given a lot of money and told to basically do his own thing. Um, this is not the best place to start for Argento. It's probably my favorite Argento movie. It's one of my favorite movies of all time, but it is... Uh, it is not for the faint of heart. It's it's a lot yeah. to take on at once. <laughs> I mean, it, I guess it could be a fine place to start for Argento if you're not really that interested in getting a feel for Argento because it's, it's certainly not. I mean, it's sort of typical in its visuals, but it's it's not typical in its pursuits. Yeah. So it's it's basically whereas Deep Red feels very grounded in reality. Um, every single moment of Suspiria from the opening to the very end, it, it kind of feels like you're inside of a dream. Um, and that has a lot to do with the score and the use of color and this kind of like fairy tale type setting and story. And uh, yeah, it's 
<laughs> it's an unbelievable experience, but you have to kind of like you have to come to terms with the fact that it's it's almost like dream logic at work. So it's it's in the same way that you can't pop on say a, a David Lynch film. It's not like you can pop in Lost Highway and then get upset when it doesn't follow a standard linear narrative. It's 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 almost in that vein. <laughs> Very true, uh, Sean. Yeah. What do you think yeah. of this thing? This is a, this is an odd duck, but I I think you liked it, as I recall. Yeah, and and that speaks to uh, my my experience. And like, I went in kind of just like, like very open minded, and uh, I'm not as as much as I I you know I say I don't watch a lot of horror. Um, I'm pretty open minded viewer and. Uh, went in just kind of like knowing that this was something that people liked a lot and sort of expected. I didn't expect, I didn't, I didn't like put the burden of like something like a great movie on it, but I just, I expected like a, an unusual experience and <clears throat> I definitely got that. And, uh, and it was very dreamlike and I was kind of on board right away with just like where it was taking me. And, um, the music, uh, especially was just sort of like, uh, astounding and, kind of i guess like um a lot of times sort of the classics uh when you when you're seeing them out of context at the time like so uh, like you know when you're sort of like learning about film or whatever you kind of like hear so for instance a good example that maybe uh myros can relate to as well like uh when you hear people talk about uh, uh, uh la, la ventura um a lot like you kind of hear words that are ascribed to to that type of like classic movie, and you think about you know how the how ennui is is represented currently. And you're like, oh, this is probably amazing, and then you go back to it, and there's a big learning curve if you even like it at all. And so I was kind of expecting that for horror. Uh, I was kind of expecting like a wild movie, but sort of like a bit uh, stale, I guess, uh, for lack of a better term, like like. Uh, but yeah, this felt uh, extremely modern um, in in its visuals and uh, and soundtrack and just like the storytelling mode that that it it just sort of like abandons um, any like tethering to uh, yeah real world understanding. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I was on board and, and like I said, I watched it in a theater. It wasn't like the most like. Uh, state-of-the-art theater but i was really happy i did uh, i was really happy that th- that was the first place i saw that because it is such like a sensory thing um but yeah i i, I really like the ending as well like just um one of the things that uh on the flip side of that coin of going back to the movie going going back to old movies um nowadays when you're in th- like I say that like I'm, I'm in, nowadays, like, so, like somebody I hate, but uh, <laughs> but like um, a lot of times, like when you're when you're when you're wrapping up a, a, a modern movie, you just like you know that it, and it that it needs to do this, this, and this, even after like even after all of the 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 dynamics have been wrapped up, you kind of know like okay, then they have to go back to the mom and say, yeah, we did this, or, you know, whatever. Like you know, like or well, I guess we have to go tell the president about how we saved the planet. Like you know, it can't just end with the end of the climax, and that's always sort of a dreaded exper- uh, dreaded feeling. And um, Suspiria, I, I was kind of like, oh god, does she have to like go somewhere after the end? And and sort of we have to see how adjust, you know, how she adjusts somewhere. But it just ends with like her walking out of this place, and I I really loved that. 
Yeah, she runs off and smooches Udo Kier. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Oh God! Yeah, actually, you know, some ropey dubbing. This is uh, the Udo Kier. <laughs> it's like a distinguished Englishman or something of that nature. It was quite off-putting. <laughs> so yeah, it, I, I liked it. I I, um, I think that this is. This is probably the one I would go back to soonest just because it is uh, sort of a whiplash feeling, not starring Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons, but um, just sort of a whiplash of uh, uh, mise-en-scene. So I would be interested to see it again. It's certainly the one I've revisited the most. And what struck me this viewing, and maybe that had a lot to do with the theater experience, was just the sound editing. It's like the first... That that's always a pet peeve of mine. The way that it seems like most of what I watch these days has sort of a, a jukebox feel to it, and this is the antithesis of that. It's like every element of the soundtrack was specifically crafted and inserted into the scenes in a certain way, and it's artistry. And the way that the open of this film is with the music coinciding with like a, a door opening in the rainstorm. And it's just, it, it's such a unique experience and just yeah. an exhibition of, of sound editing. Yeah, no, and, I, uh, I think it's great. Yeah. One of the things, go ahead. I, one of the things that uh, I was really taken with too that first time that, that continues throughout uh, Argento's movies is uh, these like meticulous uh, framings and these meticulous track shots where I'm just like, you, how much money and time like did it take to just get this like sh- this shot on top of a like a, a tea tray or like this shot of a doorknob like just these in- insanely meticulous shots that look great and that you I, I guess I'm not used to seeing in movies because they are just so excessive. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think like. If you get the chance, you need to see this in the theater, uh, especially the new 4K restoration. And I'm not going to sit here and just like jerk off over, you know, uh, visual and audio fidelity. But uh, the the things that really struck me was one: this movie is loud, but in in a good way. <laughs> like you could tell it's it's meant to be that way, and uh, it just it's so sharp looking. It, it could have been shot yesterday if I didn't know any better. It's just uh, it's unbelievable. Be a quick turnaround, but yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, that's that was my disappointment seeing in the theater is that the theater we went to was not one of these like booming theaters, which okay. we kind of want for this film because that that goblin score is like the sort of thing that's almost like weaponized to make you unsettled yeah. and sick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but now now we know where to see Christopher Nolan movies. Yeah, <laughs> very true. <laughs> yeah, so uh, one of the the things that I love the most about Suspiria is the way that it sort of establishes this, I wouldn't even call it dream logic. It's just like this, this nightmare dread. Um, it's really good at making even the most mundane things feel oppressive. Like every single thing that's surrounding, uh, Jessica Harper's character in this is oppressing her in some way, shape or form. So even she's walking through an airport. And one of the first things you see is that like pulsing red light, uh, that's really ominous. And then she's, you know, trying to get into the cab and all these cabs are passing her by and she finally gets into one. And she, uh, <laughs> there's the, the great moment in the cab where she's trying to tell the cab driver where she wants to go. And she's saying the name of this German school. And she says it like three times. And he's like, what, what? 
And then she just kind of shoves a piece of paper in his face with it written on it. And then he repeats the name of it. And the the way that he repeats it, it's literally the exact same way that she had said it. So he's just a dick. <laughs> and it, it's it's the little touches like that where no matter where she is, she's meant to she feels unsafe or unwelcome. Uh another great example too is uh when all the girls have to sort of sleep in this uh common room because of uh you know a, a little a little issue with some maggots dropping from the ceiling and as soon as they turn off the lights like any other movie you just expect to be dark or even in a horror movie you'd expect to be dark and here they turn off the lights and it's like no there's just like it's just blood red light everywhere <laughs> cuz that's what this place looks like at night uh, I, yeah, it's it's, it's got nuts. such a weird atmosphere. Like it's almost it almost reminds me of of just like a very traditional sort of fairy tale. The way it uses these broad archetypes and and even the way it's structured at the end. You know, it's like uh, Hansel and Gretel escape the witch. The end. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, no, totally. And God, just the, the set design alone. You can just pause a frame mm-hmm. in this movie and just look at like everyday objects. Look at the fucking walls in this movie. There's right. uh, like one of the upperclassmen has an apartment uh, that Jessica Harper is is staying in briefly, and even that, I'm just like, I want the whole movie to take place in here, just because it has the coolest wallpaper I've ever seen in my entire life. Like every single thing about the the set design is mind blowing. Like, I, I don't know how yeah. you put this stuff together. And it's not just like gaudy and showy. It, it fits in with the logic of the film and it fits in with the narrative. Um, there's and going back to like sort of uh, seeing, seeing film, uh, seeing shots that I've seen emulated without knowing it's sourced <clears throat> with that, that wallpaper at, at one point, Jessica Harper is wearing um, a shirt that uh, is the same exact pattern. And she's like, just standing against it. Ah yes, that I remember that happening. No way. No. It's uh, thank you for a Garden State reference in all of this. No. Um, <laughs> that's a that's a deep cut joke there. Uh yeah. Uh, I wish Sean wasn't here. Now uh, you know, <laughs> as we often do. I yeah. I mean, getting out of that resto, I I was quite honestly looking online, like yeah, maybe maybe wallpaper. <laughs> <laughs> It's a weird thing to think, but this film will make you think it. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, and God, like even I think it's it's one of the first uh, murders they show, um, and it's it's in that I, I think it's in it's in another apartment building where uh, the girl she dies and like all the glass shatters on the ground and uh, you see her sort of like draped over and bleeding and. Um, there's this shot of this ceiling and it's this beautiful like art deco ceiling and it just everything from like the way her hair is styled to the design on the ceiling to the walls to you know how everything is built out it all fits together it's just like mm-hmm. a, a german impressionist painting basically and the and the the blood is so like uh artificial but it, f- it fits in with just like a world of artifice um mm-hmm. that i i actually really appreciate it yeah, and, and and that it really works well for this movie because, uh, you know, something like that, like the ridiculously red ketchupy blood, uh, or the super hammy acting from the dub because this is like a big international cast. I think any other movie 
that kind of stuff could really take you out of it or sink the film a little bit. But here it's like everything is already so weird and you're working with this nightmare logic that it, it would almost it would be bizarre if this film was populated with like incredible actors and realistic blood. Like I, I expect it to be just over the top and, and you know, not real. Right. So, well, yeah. I'm glad I'm glad that you saw this one in the theater, Sean. That makes me very happy. And I'm glad you too, didn't hate it. <laughs> uh oh, one one more little thing about this. So I uh there's there's this movie I, I've been I've been watching a lot of the films that uh Intervision has been putting out and they've been releasing on DVD a lot of uh like shot on video eighties horror films that never saw a home video release, things like that. Uh, specifically from Canada for some reason. But th- a couple months ago, they put out one called Dream Stalker, which is basically a ripoff of Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, but starring an undead dirt bike rider. And it's goddamn hilarious. I, I highly recommend it. Uh, but when we left Suspiria, Erica was, was like, you know, the, the, the soundtrack, I've heard that before. And I'm like, well, you know, it's a famous soundtrack, blah, 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 Goblin, yada, yada. She's like, no, no, no. We've watched something with that in it. And I was just like, I don't know. And she's like, it's the it's the motorbike one. So we went back and this shitty like 1988 dirt bike huh. horror movie, Dream Stalker, they literally just they lifted the 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 score from Suspiria and just like slowed it down a step. And that was it, <laughs> which I didn't notice the first time I, I was watching. it. I was like, oh, what the fuck? Weird. So shout out to Shot on Video Canadian Horror for, uh, you know, ripping off the best of the best. Oh, that's what yeah. phobe was missing yeah phobe was definitely missing that another intervision canadian classic you'd think it would be tough to pull off stealing this score it's yeah, a little yeah. bit distinctive just a uh, little bit we should probably move on uh to our next film which would be 1982's tenebrae oh my yeah, god i pronounce that um, I I love this movie so much, so so much. I think uh, behind Suspiria, it's probably my favorite Argento. Maybe I don't know. It's it's a toss up between this and Deep Red. Uh, it's also one of the earliest uh, like meta horror slashers that I can remember. It's almost like a proto New Nightmare slash Scream Wes Craven type of film in a lot of ways. Uh, Sean, what'd you think? Well. This is my least favorite. Ooh, sorry to say. Which I will uh, couch it in uh, the fact that um, I think my access to it was less than uh, less than great. Um, the The visual quality was subpar, and um, also the subs were like it was like one of those things where somebody starts talking and then the subs come up a little bit late, but somebody else has already started talking. So I'm always doing like this calculus, like matching it up. <laughs> so I, uh, I'm guessing you don't have a dubbed version. I thought this was like exclusively dubbed. No, uh, that's interesting. So. so, so what you're telling me is you, uh, you, you didn't pick up the, the 4k restored Blu-ray version of this one. No, um, no, I'm pretty sure that's what happened when I watched this, but, uh, I really like the the conceit of it, like this, like you said, this like meta horror thing, like you know, there, there's the novelist and the slashers killing everybody uh, involved or whatever, um, and like the stuffing of the page 
uh, into the mouth was like one of one of the more like um, memorable images, loaded images. Um, and but I don't know, it didn't it didn't do it for me like like the others. I was checking I was checking the, the watch uh, sooner with this one. Also, I will say, uh, uh, well, I mean the score was the score was good, but I, I like the previous two a little bit more. But um, it has probably like the most ludicrous. Uh, set piece I've ever seen, which is the, the like fight the apartment murder. <laughs> yes, and the shot that is just like it's just like uh, an adoration of like uh, the the architecture of the building, but from like two feet away, um, just like scaling the wall before it goes in the window or whatever. Um, that was yeah. incredibly indulgent, which is fine, but but uh, that scene, which is like the the women running around with like. Um, like a like a two inch cloth covering their body, and, uh, going <laughs> up and down the stairs, and just uh, I don't know. It just kind of was just like, uh, this isn't my scene. I get it, <laughs> but uh, it's just like this is probably why I didn't already know much about Argento. It's because of this stuff. I'm just kind of like, all yeah, right. Yeah. This one is a little like, this is another one where I'd say if, if you're just getting into Argento, don't start here because, uh, this one really benefits a lot from a familiarity with not only Argento, but also just Giallo films in general. Um, and it, it sort of plays around with a lot of those, those tropes. And uh, I think one of the reasons that I really like it, other than like the super twisty story and John motherfucking Saxon, who is a, a national treasure, uh, true. <laughs> it's true, <laughs> is uh, this is one of those films where uh, you really get to see Argento use vicious murder and blood as almost like a, 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 a painter using paint and canvas. Like there's that murder at the end where the woman's uh, throat is cut and there's this gorgeous like blood spray and it almost looks like a Jackson Pollock painting, but it's so again, meticulously staged and just over the top. And that, that scene, that moment when people are like, Oh, why do you like Argento so much? It's like, because he makes like something grisly and gross, incredibly beautiful and interesting, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, this, this film to me, like, illuminates where Argento fits in the, uh, you know, on that sort of Mount Rushmore, if you will, of horror directors. Cause he, he is just sort of a, a profoundly Baroque artist. He, I mean, tenebrism is a prominent facet in that, in that study of art in that school of art. And obviously this film is, is virtually named after it. And it, it, it's all about, you know, that sort of oversaturation, overcolorization, overdramatization, and bigger and more grand and unwieldy, even and then those sort of things that are applicable to that art style are, are indeed applicable. You know, a couple hundred years later to this sort of movement in film and spearheaded by Dario Argento. So, uh, Chinebre codified that for me in a way well a it's its name was a a nice key in but um beyond that it just feels like this is a man who is at this point struggling to defend himself as an artist like he you can kind of hear him responding to critics people who say he's too violent and 
what he's doing isn't art and he is applying that to his writing and to the structure of his films even and and it, it feels very this feels like a film in which an artist is examining himself profoundly and the nature of his pursuits and the merits to be found there and whether he is deviant or whether his work is constructive and uh to me that that's fascinating stuff Mm-hmm. Maybe, uh, and maybe this will just be one that I'll have to sort of um, come back to with a broader understanding and having watched it uh, already. And yeah, just sort of uh, metabolize in a different situation. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd recommend it. This was definitely my least favorite of the four we're looking at today upon first viewing. I'm. Not sure where I'd rank it now because I I really enjoyed coming back to these for this. I mm. I thought all of them were you know close to tens, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I uh, you, you know this one is uh, oh god, what was I going to say? Shit. <laughs> uh, oh, I was gonna I was gonna talk about how so it, this one is interesting because I I, I think it is like it, it's sort of there's two things going on here. One, like you said, Myros, it's it's sort of him interrogating his own work and and uh, also kind of lashing back at people who are questioning his his artistry. Uh, and I also know I think he actually wrote this screenplay because he had a fan who was like stalking him or something, and it made him super paranoid. Uh, so you get you definitely get some of that paranoia in there too. But this is one where I, I really do agree that it helps once you sort of build your familiarity with these famous Italian directors because. Uh, I feel like a lot of Italian directors were sort of uh, dipping their toes into meta horror and, and sort of looking at their own work in a different way. Uh, I know, I think it was like five years after this, uh, Lucio Fulci made a uh, Cat in the Brain, which is fucking awful, by the way, so don't actually watch it. But uh, it, it's the same type of thing where he is uh, he's basically convinced that he's going crazy because he spent his entire life uh creating these like horror films and slasher films and he's starting to wonder if it's if it's breaking him down mentally and uh you know things like that so it's it's an interesting concept but Fulci was in full hack mode at that point of his career so it didn't go so well for him uh but yeah this is this is definitely a time where people were were really starting to bring the hammer down on on movies like this yeah it's a very sort of consciously sleazy film it's almost a yeah it's almost a parody of deep red in a way oh yeah yeah at the same time it's just it's there's such craft in it that that shot of the apartment building while profoundly masturbatory uh is also something that no one can do (laughs) that's true that's true yeah it's interesting too because i think and I could be wrong on this one, so uh, angry nerds, optimismvaccine@gmail.com. If you want to correct me, I think this is one of his only movies that's still banned in like parts of Europe. Like I, I think this film is still banned in like Germany and shit, which is weird to me. But yeah, it's not. I mean, it's the most violent of the three we've talked about thus far. But uh, when we get on to the next one, it's nowhere oh, near as violent. <laughs> Speaking of which, what is our next one? Our next one. Uh, uh, Dario Argento's last great movie, I would say, uh, 1987's Opera. 
Oh, opera. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we, we kind of wrestled back and forth because we, we couldn't decide if we wanted to do Phenomenon or Opera, basically. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm glad we went with Opera because I, I haven't watched it since I watched it the first time years and years ago. And mm-hmm. it's also kind of a good end cap to this part of his career. And, you know, if you talk Phenomenon, it's great, but uh, you got to talk about Jennifer Connelly's eyebrows and, and the monkey and Dr. Loomis. And it, it just, you know. It gets a little crazy. It's a much more slight film, and opera is certainly more significant in how it, it shaped his career. So. Yeah, that's for sure. So when when we say this is his last movie, it, it literally, it, it you could say it's the last like Italian slasher movie, <laughs> not in the sense of like nobody made him after this, but uh, this was the most expensive movie of Argento's career to make. Um, and it was made right before the Italian uh, film industry sort of collapsed on itself. So he'd never see a budget like this again. Um, and, well, neither would anybody. <laughs> but it, it's also interesting because out of all his films that I've seen, and I've seen a ton of them, most of them, good and bad, this is easily the most mean-spirited Dario Argento film I've ever seen. So I'm interested, Sean, in, in what your take was on it. Um, <clears throat> I liked it. Uh, I, I, I First of all, uh, I was kind of like, um, n- not necessarily in a bad way, but I was like, oh, another, another one in a row where uh, it centers around sort of the slasher and a uh, piece of art and taking people down around that um i liked it uh and thinking back about it like it was it was one that uh kind of flew by um but thinking back on it now and kind of like talking about the first uh those first two um it definitely pales in comparison um it it felt kind of like slight but but like sort of a good time um but there are definitely some incredible stuff like the eyeball stuff, the, um, the putting, uh, pins under her eyes so she can't blink. Like that's, that's pretty unforgettable. Um, yeah. And, and but, not, uh, not to, not to like derail you too much here, but just so people have an idea about what it's about. Um, it, it's basically about an opera singer and someone is stalking her. And, uh, instead of just killing her, they're waiting until she's around other people, and then they tie her up, put pins underneath <laughs> their eyelids so she can't close them without, like, gouging her own eyes out, and then mur- they murder her friends around her, basically. Yeah, and it is, like you said, very mean-spirited, um, but it, it's pretty uh, – it's captivating stuff to watch. Um, I, I guess, like uh, – the killer, like who it was, didn't really like. I kind of like, I figured it out, which I'm I'm pretty bad at like figuring that out. But I figured it out, which is fine. But I didn't really care. I guess I was more interested in like the spectacle um, than the mystery. Whereas something like Deep Red, it, it's 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 much more like contained and taut and interesting. But um, I think that that uh, the gunshot through the the peephole, oh, yeah. and then to the to the self or to the to the to the phone. Was probably that's probably like the, one of the coolest things out of this whole uh, quadrology, um, for sure. Uh, I again, this this really reinforces. I think it, this is uh, 
kind of the the other side of the coin from Tenebre for me. Like it's it's still Argento fully sort of confronting the dark nature of his work and uh, perhaps himself. Uh, and here he certainly doesn't treat it with the same sort of light fun. <laughs> this this is a uh, a pretty sick movie, um, but. <laughs> That that's not a that that doesn't that's not an insult for me. I guess I didn't I don't have a problem watching it, but I could see anyone who would. But it's it's also to me it is probably of the four we've watched and really of most of his prime work. It, it is the weakest in construction, and that mystery element is not especially compelling. But it's also the trimmings of this film, uh, I I can't get enough of. Like the way the so, camera moves in this film, and and the setting of that opera, which is again, you know, one of the most preeminent Baroque art forms, opera. Mm-hmm. It's just such a, it's it's beautiful. I I wish yeah. this film would would almost askew the sort of traditional Argento, you know butt rock scoring sometimes because because when it relies solely on that opera music and just especially in the first act this film to me was stunningly gorgeous mm-hmm. yeah i agree with that a hundred percent like i kind of forgot about all the butt rock so that's just like that's not and, and not this is when we thing, say butt know, rock too like, we should we should clarify that this isn't like a goblin score or anything this literally no, sounds yeah. like out of nowhere like Judas Priest starts playing like that's yeah. what it sounds like and it's it's ugly uh and it's yeah it is really uh it it's contrasted wildly with with the with the beautiful opera stuff which uh when that's used um as like the score or, you know as diegetic sound doubled as the score it's it is it it's really great um like with the the birds that come in which uh, did I miss like a detail? I was gonna ask you guys. Um, so the big like coup uh, is that so they're trying to find the killer, and um, the director of the uh, opera um, has some great plan to throw in to find the killer through these birds, like letting these these black birds find it. How how is this how how is this pinpointed? It's posited that the birds have. Uh... Some sort um, of uh, well, because he had well the the killer had earlier in the film assaulted the birds when they were stored in the basement of the uh, you know at the night, so that they have a memory of this event supposedly, which I'm sure is is entirely hokum, but sure. <laughs> that that is the idea behind this plan is that the, the okay. birds would have memory of the person who had killed several of their Which, brethren that kind of uh it's whatever but like when that kind of annoys me because i was really looking forward to some sort of like ingenious machination uh that would have led them to the killer and and i i just kept waiting for it and then to, to hear that it's just sort of like this this weird like supernatural uh shortcut it's just kind of not as cool but um uh yeah i don't know uh 
I we don't have to. Uh, I don't want to like jump ahead, but one of the things too is just like I also don't understand how it ends. Uh, like what? Why she's like hugging weeds? But it is a very very bizarre ending to this film. Uh, and it was, I believe, cut in certain versions. Now I think the American version was supposed to cut. The the producers demanded that he cut the entire <laughs> section in, in Sweden oh. uh, or Switzerland or wherever it is uh, in order to get a theatrical release in America, and he refused to do so. So it was directive video. But <laughs> this, is, uh, this is definitely the one, like, uh, I know I've, I've, um, I've heard uh, Argento thrown around as, like, a, a blatant reference point for Black Swan, and this is definitely one where it sort of comes together. A movie I don't care for, and I don't plan on ever watching it, but um, this is definitely one where I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, makes sense. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. This and Suspiria, I would say. Aronofsky's seen a few times. Um, yeah, this... That ending, I guess, you know, I I have read that it was some it was inspired by Manhunter, honestly, or perhaps not the movie. It was the You're thinking of Manhunter on Netflix right now. Uh Red Dragon, I believe, is the name of the <laughs> book, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I don't know. So yeah, it, it was inspired by that, which if you've ever seen the Brett Ratner oh. version has a very similar ending where the killer is presumed dead and kind of attacks the family later in the mm-hmm. narrative, which is, yeah. is, is a, I guess, the, the actual beat in the book that Argento was smitten with and wanted to include something similar. But certainly had an odd bent with that uh, nature. Right. Uh, uh, that reminds it's like me. A, it's like, like the, um, it's like also, the uh, beginning of Sound of Music, basically, but with murder. Yeah. That's what it looks like. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I, and I did think about, think about that, uh, when she's like standing on top of the hill, but, um, you know, like, um, this is just a microcosm of, of something, uh, in his work and, and maybe like Jalo films in general. But, um, uh, when, uh, for instance, they, the guy, the director, uh, I can't remember who she's, she's living with at that house, um, at the, at the very end. And he's like, he's not dead the killer's here or whatever because he sees like a murder or whatever um there's a weird like um unattention like a purposeful like neglect for like how everything is happening like the logistics i guess um is that something that's just like something that we we focus on more now in movies uh, or, you know, filmmakers um, that we're just like always trying to figure out how they got from point A to point B. Whereas these movies just sort of like gloss over those, those details um, because viewers didn't care or maybe the, the filmmakers at the time didn't really care how like to make sense of it as long as, you know, that it made sense in the, in the back of their mind somehow. Boy, we're going to, Next year we're gonna do Fulci. You'll really enjoy that. Oh Jesus! <laughs> it makes a makes a lot of sense. Oh yeah, <laughs> I I can't I can't wait. We're, we're okay. This is this is the decree. We're doing Fulci next year because I want Sean to watch the Beyond. <laughs> All right, uh, the Beyond's like the only one of his movies that is good. So, <laughs> and it's still a mess. Yeah. So it is definitely characteristic of this era and style of filmmaking where that it it 
doesn't have to make sense. It's not about it's not about realism as much as it's about that sort of again Heidenborough sure. drama. It's it's just about the construction of the image rather than the realism of the image. Uh, that the, tension, yeah. Yeah, okay. it is, Ma- uh, I mean, yeah, makes sense. Well, and yeah, this is a this is a bit of a messy movie. I'll, I'll grant you, but it is. man, when it when it works, and I think the intent behind it, just this sort of examination of this again, it, it deals a lot with deviance and corruption and the way that the protagonist is is shaped by this sort of childhood trauma and. It, it deals with an almost fetishization of violence, and it, it it's got a lot going on. This almost this almost reminded me of a Cronenberg film in the way that it it, it it's very psychological compared to the bulk of Argento's mm-hmm. uh, catalog. I also think I know why you really like it. You like those one liners that uh, the stalker gives. Uh, I mean that that's you the part are that... a frigid bitch. <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, this is like a notoriously troubled uh, production as well. You could really kind of, again, it's a nice microcosm for the collapse of, of the industry at the time because uh, Argento believed that that the Macbeth curse had actually affected his production, and I know they had one actor die during filming, and the guy who played the director, this was his last film because he died of AIDS. Jesus. Um, he apparently could not coexist with the lead actress in this film. Uh, Argento had tremendous problems working with her. And yeah, he had uh, separated from Nickelodeon at the time. And she basically just had a very small role to get shot in the head through that uh, peephole there. But (laughs) she, yeah, they had, they had separated and this was kind of their last collaboration too. Mm Hmm. I will say though it's um it, it is a really interesting companion piece with Tenebre. So if you're if you're going on an Argento journey, I would recommend watching Tenebre and Opera like in close succession. Uh just because where Tenebre felt like it was Argento sort of uh examining and interrogating himself and 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 finding, you know, where his place is in popular culture as an artist and not just like a, a schlock director. Uh, and it was, you know, it's kind of a playful movie at times. Opera is is very cynical, and it, it, instead of a lot of self examination, it's it almost lashes out at the audience. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Especially with the the needles in the eyes, you know, it's it's like, oh, so you, you like watching people get stabbed? Well, here's someone who just literally is being tortured by the fact that people she she loves and is around on a daily basis getting killed and there's nothing she can do about it. So it's it's a really interesting way of sort of prodding at the audience while also disempowering the the protagonist and yeah, it it, it works. It's just goddamn it's mean. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely a more interesting examination and interrogation of of the audience for this sort of material than than something is as ham-fisted as funny games or something of that nature. And, yeah, that that whole needle-on-eye thing was apparently a response that he had come up with the idea because certain members of the audience and critics would shut their eyes during violent sequences of his films. So he had 
posited that he should tape needles beneath their eyes so they were forced to watch. <laughs> That's nice. What a sweetheart. <laughs> I think that would have made a more compelling ending to Clockwork Orange. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Sean, now that, now that you wrapped up your Dario Argento, are you going to go watch uh, uh, Mother of Tears? Uh no, I think I'm <laughs> that's good. Don't fucking old, watch that. I'm gonna watch like uh, Anne of Green Gables or something. Yeah, I mean, I I did posit you should watch the rest of Carpenter's uh, apocalyptic trilogy, but you could probably uh, not watch the rest of Argento's uh, Three Mothers trilogy. I mean, well, Inferno uh, okay, is so probably when, worth a worth a look. Is uh, Jalo the the movie Jalo that he did? Is that also like? Does that fit in with these two movies as far as, like, it's about a work of art? No. no it's just fucking trash. It's okay. just really, really shitty. It's about, like, a jaundiced guy who murders people, the end. That's, like, all okay. there is to it. And yeah. it's made for, like, right. $10. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I guess, like, Adrian Brody got pissed because Argento didn't pay him or something. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would do it. That's real good. Uh, yeah, right. but uh, yeah, Argento. After this movie, it's there's not a lot going on that's that you want to really experience. All right, Sean. Works for me. So what, Sean? What are you putting over this week? Oh, uh, God. Um, what am I putting over? I'm of course going to put over uh, the Meyerowitz stories. I suppose I just watched that. That's on Netflix. Uh, the Noah Baumbach movie. Uh, it's a lovely movie. It's like uh, if you if you think that uh, Royal Tenenbaums is is a bit too uh, treacly, this is the work for you. Oh, sorry guys, my uh, my volume went out there for a minute. I, mean, I don't know if I missed anything, but nothing important. No, really, really important stuff. <laughs> oh, thanks. Myers, <laughs> uh, what are you hey, putting over? Uh, I'm supposed to be putting over things. Yeah, you got to exactly. fucking put something my over. Thought. What do you? What do you? Uh, have you ever been on the show before? <laughs> Jesus Christ! Well, this is a special episode of Sean sees a thing. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I I haven't watched it any good recently. I was watching that goddamn Stranger Things too. I don't put that over. <laughs> Can we bleep that out, Steve? In post, I said what? I don't put it over. <laughs> no, uh, no, I, I'm I'm bleeping it out so it says he puts it over. <laughs> 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 Your put over's been put in the upside down, motherfucker. Oh, I man, I, I honestly haven't seen anything. I, I got nothing. <laughs> Holy shit! Uh, you're not, you're not gonna put over Mind Hunters. Well, that's better than Stranger Things too. Ooh, that's the hot take of the century. More like Hind Hunters. I I don't know what that even means. Uh, yeah. So I guess I got to put something over then, right? Uh, I'm gonna actually put over. I'm gonna put over another Argento movie I talked about earlier. Bird of the Crystal Plumage. Uh, Arrow just put out a really nice 4K restoration of it. It's fucking gorgeous. It's fantastic package, and it's a great movie. And if you want to get your feet wet in Giallo, that's uh, a good place to start. That along with Blood and Black Lace, man. That's those are good jumping off points. All right, well, I so I could put over Inferno. He should watch that. That, that is that, that is some sequences that are pretty jaw dropping. So you're officially switching your put over from not Stranger Things season two to <laughs> Inferno. <laughs> sure, if we are allowed to put over just Argento movies, yeah, Inferno. That's a good one. As opposed to the the anti put over, um, Infer. Yes. Yeah. Maros is going to put over his favorite 
Argento movie, which is either The Card Player or Do You Like Hitchcock? Uh, Jack oh, keeps talking that? about the Stinned Hall Syndrome no, Jack, being acceptable. Let's talk about Jack's closed head injury. Right. That's not acceptable. All right, enough, enough beating around the horror bush. Uh, yeah, so if you like the show, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. And in addition to that, hop onto iTunes and please rate and review our show. Give us five stars and a written review. Why would you do that? Why do you have to write a fucking review? That seems like a lot of work, I know. The reason is, is because the more written reviews we have and the higher our star rating is, uh, the easier it is for people to find us, and then more people can hear our shit, and then we'll make more shit for you. So everybody wins. It's a great, great deal you got here. So do that. If you have any questions, comments, if you want to talk shit because we screwed up something, uh, you know, some Argento detail that we got wrong. Email us, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. Sophie will answer your email, I think. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I don't check the email. Sophie does. So, other than that, you can find us on Twitter at optimismvaccine, or you can find me at Steve Cuff. Uh, Myros isn't on Twitter because he's basically a fucking Mennonite. Sean, where can we find you? Uh, at Mr. Glennis. At Mr. Glennis. And there he will be. Uh, so yeah, we'll be back next week.